The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 55. We'll start there this morning, Isaiah chapter 55. This morning we're going to just introduce the thought. It's not going to be comprehensive in its scope, but um, I want to talk about our thought life this morning. So your thought life, let me ask you, are you limping or are you walking? With your thought life, are you limping or are you walking? We live in a day and age, you live in a day and age. Um, I did not live in this type of day and age at your age. said age a lot there. Um, you have social media, you've got a phone, you've got uh, Instagram, Facebook, I mean, all the, whatever you got rolling. It's 24-7 bombardment. And, and sad to say, the majority of what we're bombarded with is negative. Every catastrophe, every shooting, every chaos, every killing, every whatever, it's just boom, 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 boom. Let me just say that you and I were not built for that. We weren't built to be bombarded with negative news. And when you are bombarded with negative news, you begin to feel negative. You begin to think in your mind, what's the use? I don't have a chance. How can we stand for what's right? How can I live for the Lord? Because it's just bam, bam, bam. Now, God's built for that, but you and I are not built for that. And so as we begin to look at some scripture this morning, I want you to just think about your thoughts. Think about where they originate. Compare your thoughts to what the Word of God says. And prayerfully, when we're done, you'll have something to think on, something to mull over, maybe something to talk with a roommate, a boyfriend, girlfriend, some friends about when we're done this morning. How often is it safe for a man to trust his own thoughts? And how often it would be proper for a man to bring his thoughts to the Word of God for examination and possible correction? What we are up against is the undeniable fact that men, mankind, are governed by their thoughts, whether they're saved or lost. And it's vital that we learn to align our thoughts with the Word of God. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves living in opposition to God while claiming to be living for God or to be serving God. Because once you set aside the Bible as your final authority, you'll either, you will then elevate your thoughts You'll elevate your feelings, your opinions, the conversations you had with other people. You'll like to or uh, to equal a greater authority than the Word of God. Your authority is not the Scripture, but what you think about the Scripture is where you end up. Your authority is not what the Bible says, but how you feel about what the Bible says. And so this morning, it's very important that we find out whether or not our thoughts can be trusted, find out whether or not God's word can be trusted, and then find out how to go ahead, uh, go about reconciling any differences between the two, if there are any. Isaiah chapter 55, for our starting place, verse 1. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, 
and your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you again this morning. I pray that you'd move me out of the way. Um, I, have a, I have a burden on my heart and, and this, and with this message and what it could and how it could change Change us each individually. So I pray that everything's removed out of the way. Give me the right words, thoughts, illustrations, whatever it may be. But help us to be attentive to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You notice in Isaiah 55, if you're going through the book of Isaiah, you get to chapter 55. and just, uh, There's an invitation being given, not just to the Jews. It's being given to the Gentiles, being given to the world. And so this invitation is put out. But you notice in verse 2, uh, in the middle of the verse, it says, Hearken diligently unto me. So the Lord is saying in these two verses that he's saying, hey, whatever you want, whatever you need, you can have it from me. You can have it from me without money and without price. But if you're going to get it, now listen to what he says. If you're going to get it from me, you have to listen to what I say. No money, no price, no gold, no silver. But what's required to receive what your soul is longing for? He says, you must hear he says, you must listen. So the necessary, and again, this is important. So the necessary instruction is not coming from within. It's going to come from without. He did not say, hey, I, listen, I need you to sit down, go sit in a corner and meditate. He didn't say, hey, I need you to go sit down and, and, and listen for that inner voice. He said, listen to me and I'll quench your thirst. Listen to me and I'll satisfy your hunger. Look at verse 3. Incline your ear. Again, it's about hearing. It's about listening. It's about paying attention to what God is saying to you and I. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that knowest not. And nations that know not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon so there's a need to be pardoned. There's a need for mercy. The need, what is it? There's a need. There's a need of a relationship with the Lord. But notice the requirement found in verse 7. First, he says, you have to forsake your way. You've got to abandon your ways. And then he also says right after that you must abandon your thoughts. He says, forsake your thoughts. Notice that it's not a dialogue here. He says, the only thing I want to hear from you is you calling upon me. He goes, I don't want to have a discussion with you, a debate. I don't want to argue with you. I want you to leave your thoughts and come and hear my words. I want you to leave your ways and be instructed by me. But here's the difficulty with that. Man's pride. Man is our pride getting in the way. And the Lord says, your ways and your thoughts must be abandoned. And all I want to hear from you is a call for help. Not advice, not assistance, nor ideas. I don't want you to bring your religion. I don't want you to bring your morals. I just want you to come seeking my help. Look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now let's just stop there for just a minute. He says, my thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher, 
So here I am, a man, and right now I'm a little elevated. I'm looking, you know, down on you. You all are elevated above me. But you know what? My thoughts are not higher than his thoughts. A, couple, a few years back, it's been quite a few years back, hiked the Tetons, stood on a place there uh, on the Tetons, and I'm looking out over Wyoming, and to my left, I'm looking out over the state of Idaho. I'm way up there. I forget how, what the elevation was. But even at that pinnacle, as I looked out over God's creation, still his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Up in Georgia, jumping on some giant zip line called the Superman or something, we're flying down from one side of the mountain to the other. Still, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. If I jumped on a plane to travel somewhere, his thoughts are still higher than my thoughts. It's important that you and I understand that. And when we begin to think about that, the other night I was taking the garbage can down to the road. It was just one of those clear nights. There wasn't a full moon, but the moon was very bright. And as I took the can down to the road, I stopped and I'm looking up at the moon. And I'm looking at the sky and I'm looking at the stars. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Way up there. If you got a telescope and took a look, it's beyond that. Really, when we begin to think about that, we should walk away with our mouth a little open in awe of the greatness of our God. And how dare we think that our thoughts in any shape, way, or form compare, come close to his thoughts and to his ways. Understand this morning that the Lord has set before us the Bible, the word of God. It's not a book of self-improvement. It's not a book to make you smart. It's not a book that enables you to outpace your religious rivals, but the living words of the living God. Not really for the purpose of make you a better man, but to help you understand the greatness, the brilliance of your God. God says, I want you to come to me, not to help me out, not to contribute, not to get the finishing touches on an otherwise pretty good life, but to completely exchange the way your way of thinking for my way of thinking. To completely exchange how you ever viewed anything and replace it with how I, God says, how I view everything. That's a much loftier goal than what's being set forth in the average church across America today. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. For as a rain cometh down, the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So you got the rain coming down. The rain provides life. Rain comes from heaven. Look at verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Life comes from where it comes from rain. Rain comes from heaven. Where any any fruitful thing, any good thing, any life-giving thing in you, in me, in our churches, where will it come from? It won't come from us working for God. It will come from the word of God working through us. It will come from the word of God which came down from heaven and brought life to you and I. And brought fruitfulness to our lives. I thought we were going to talk about our thought life. We are. But first we've got to get our thoughts right. And realize that even as you're sitting here, some of you may be the Wednesday night message from Kenny Baldwin or the um, Tuesday message of the prodigal, not the one, but his older brother. Bring it on, preacher man. Let me hear what you got. Your thoughts are messed up. How dare you compare and think that your thoughts even come close to the thoughts of God. God's got something for you this morning. 
You should say, oh, here am I, Lord. <laughs> Show me. Let me see. Let me hear. I want it. Take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to turn to several places as we move along here that will help you stay awake, help the person beside you stay awake. Genesis chapter 6, we're talking about our thoughts this morning. We're trying to establish right off the bat that God's thoughts are higher and greater than your thoughts and mine. Genesis chapter 6 is interesting. This is the first time in your Bible where the word thoughts appear. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil. Catch that part? Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Let's get some context. How did we get to chapter 6, verse 5, where every thought of man's heart was only evil continually? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, we find Satan speaking to Eve. And he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now let's just take a quick refresher course. Remember when God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created day one, day two, day three. As I recall, we won't take the time to look there, but every time he did something, he said it was good. Day one, good. Day two, good. Day three, day four, day five, day six, all good. So here comes Satan tempting Eve, talking to Eve. And you have to understand, he says, hey, if you eat of this tree, you'll know, um, you know, you shall be a God's knowing good and evil. Can I let you know that Adam and Eve already knew good? They knew what was good. They knew good. So the only thing that they could have gained from eating that tree was evil, was the knowledge of evil, knowing evil. They already knew what was good. Satan presented as if they were going to be gaining both good and evil, but They already knew good. The heavens were good. The earth was good. The plants were good. The waters were good. The animals were good. The fish were good. Man was good. The woman was good. God saw everything he made and said it was good. And he put man in the middle of it. And the devil comes along and says, hey, so you want to eat that tree? You can have the knowledge of good and evil. They already knew. The only thing they could get from that tree was evil. They ate of that tree and what did they end up with? Genesis 6 and verse 5. Only evil continually. The imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Where was that? Well, not necessarily evil in their hands because some had restraint. Not necessarily evil with their feet went because some were afraid to go. Not necessarily evil what they did because some had manners, some had morals. Some didn't want to get arrested. Some were conservative. But the Bible tells us, but in their heart of hearts from which their thoughts proceeded, they never lined up with God. They never lined up with God. Take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 20. Let's look at the first occurrence where man has a thought, where it's recorded that man has a thought. You know, the devil comes along you, doesn't he? Hey, you can't, you can't be mature. You can't be all that you can be unless you've experienced some sin, some evil. That's a lie of the devil. I don't have to experience sin to know it's wrong because the Bible tells me it's wrong. That's all I need. But see, our thoughts are messed up. Well, I know it's what the Bible says, but I, you think what? You think better than God's word? You think better than the instructions God's given us? You think you're going to believe, you think you need to dabble in evil? That you can have some knowledge? I don't, I, no, you don't. You don't have to be, get drunk so you can experience, you know, well, you know listen, I ain't telling you, get drunk's not good. I know getting drunk's not good because the Bible says not good. Amen? Genesis chapter 20, that's interesting. 
First time an individual has a thought as recorded in Scripture. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah and Abimelech. Remember that? Abraham said, listen, I mean, she must have been some type of good looking. He said, they're going to want you and they're going to kill me. So just tell them we're a brother and sister. And then you go off with him. Excuse me? His thoughts are messed up. Amen. Look at verse 9, chapter 20 of Genesis. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee? Thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Look at his response in verse 11. And Abraham said, Because I thought. Oh, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Abimelech says, Abraham, what did you see? He said, well, I thought. No, Abraham, what did you see? Well, I thought. Isn't that how it goes in a lot of churches today, in our lives today? How many church problems, how many marriage problems, how many friendship problems, how many Christian walk problems have grown not out of anything you saw? but out of what you thought. They're over there at the water fountain. I I think they're talking about me. No, they're not. They're drinking water. (laughs) The thought. Abraham, what did you see? Well, Abimelech, I thought. So the first time it's mentioned in the Bible, it really kind of sets the tone for the next 6,000 years of human history. Listen, there are people from one end of this country to the other. They're blood washed, they're saved, they love Jesus, they think they love Jesus, they do love Jesus, they're trying to love Jesus. And you know what the whole problem is in their relationship with one another, in their relationship with their pastor, relationship with their, with their husband, their wife, or with their children, with their friends, with their fellow church members. Their entire problem is based in the realm of their imagination. I thought. They never asked. They never talked about it. They never confronted it. They were never honest about it. They just thought. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're upset because you thought, but you've never confronted. They just thought, well, I thought, well, do you want to check it out? No, because I think, well, did you ask? Well, I think if I did ask this, but did you go to them? Well, I think if I did, and it happens all the time and you know it. Some of you came in this morning miffed because you thought. Amen. Look at verse 11. Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. So the first time a man has a thought in the Bible, not only is it incorrect, but it's based upon self-love. I mean, the guy's protecting himself. Hey, honey, tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. And and he's going to give her over to a heathen to save his own neck. And then he tosses God in the mix, does he not? Then he says what? Because I thought, surely the fear of God... So here's how it goes. (laughs) He's talking. Well, Abimelech, here's what I was thinking. You know, the fear of the Lord, which, of course, I possess while I'm lying to you. The fear of the Lord, which I possess while I'm giving my wife over to you. And then there's you who I suspect, I suspect, I thought, not having any fear of the Lord. It's amazing how often or how frequently God gets credit for schemes we cook up in our own minds. Well, I prayed about it. But who did you pray to? Well, you know, I sought the Lord, but where did you seek him? In your mind or in the Bible? Where did you see that in Scripture? Were those just the voices in your head? 
So you must realize and grasp that God's thoughts are higher than man's thoughts and that man's thoughts can't be trusted. Genesis chapter 32 is the story of Jacob wrestling with God as were presented to us last week during opening convocations. Genesis chapter 32, look at verse 24, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Genesis 32 verse 25, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face in my life is preserved. Verse 31, as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. He halted upon his thigh. Mark 9, verse 45 says, Mark 9, 45 says, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. As you read through the Gospels, there's on several occasions, Jesus healed multitudes of people. Some were sick, some were blind, some were deaf, some were halt. And yet the Lord in Genesis 32 is not healing of Jacob from being halt. He makes him halt. He strikes him with lameness, causing him to limp for the rest of his life. I want to paint a picture for you. Think of this. Every time Jacob took a step, it stopped him in his tracks. He had to rebalance, reposition, and then go on. So every time he took a step, he has a good leg, and then he has... Okay. And some of you will halt this morning in your thoughts. Because you won't line up with the word of God. 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came unto all the people, and he said, How long halt ye? Halt between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him not a word. Hey, speak up. Who's God? God or Baal? Didn't say a word. So here they are, Jehovah Baal, Jehovah Baal. They're halted. They're not halted between two gods. They're halted between two opinions. Oh, I went to church on Sunday, boy, and it was great. Now it's Monday, and I just don't know. I read my Bible yesterday morning. It was wonderful, but today, I, I don't know. That was a great sermon on Wednesday night, but I'm not sure about that Sunday message. One leg is good, and one leg is bad. And every other step, we're brought to halt, and we must rebalance before we can go on because we're still of two opinions. James chapter 1, verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable. And how many of his ways? All his ways. That's the word of God. Well, I think there's your problem. Well, I think, no, you, no, no. The Bible says you're unstable in all your ways. Unstable in all your ways. A double-minded man. That's what the Bible says. That's Jacob for the rest of his life. Halt. Unstable. That's the people of Israel, Mount Carmel, as the big battle takes place there. That's the Christian who believes the Bible, but yet... Hears voices. That's the Christian who believes the Bible and has his own opinion. That's the Christian who believes the Bible and trusts the accounts of others that doesn't line up with the Bible. That's the Christian who believes the Bible and religious tradition. Some of you are here this morning and you are continually frustrated in your attempts to walk and live the Christian life because your other mind is always throwing you out of balance and bringing you to a halt and you have to stop and reposition. I'm dedicated to the Lord. Oh, I'm backsliding. Oh, I'm rededicating to the Lord. Oh, I'm dedicated. Now I'm backsliding. And so the cycle goes. You're just unstable. You're unstable. And you're unstable, listen, 
you're not going to like it. But you're unstable because you don't have a single source of authority for all you do and say. Oh, come on, man. Oh, come on, man. Life is so much easier when you have a final authority. Amen. Amen. Man, it's so much easier. Why don't you do that? Well, the Bible says. Well, you're a goofball. Yes, I am. Why don't you do that? Well, the Bible says. You're a simpleton. Yes, I am. Amen. Amen. You know the Bible is the word of God, and you know the Bible is true. But in those times when what the Bible says does not line up with what you have already determined you really want to do, you're going to find some Christian, you're going to find some preacher, you're going to find some fellow church member, some friend to confirm your thoughts, to verify what you think about the matter, even though it's contrary to what God thinks and says. And you just go, and you're just going limp, you're just walking limp through life. Now you might make some progress, but not the progress of a healthy man with two good legs. You might get somewhere, but you might not get as far as you would if you would let Jesus Christ heal you of that halt condition. A double-minded man. Notice the people didn't say, the Lord, he is God, until somebody sold the issue for them. Notice they didn't say, we're for Baal, because they weren't sure how the whole thing was going to turn out. They are sitting and waiting until the end, before they sell out, to see which side wins. Save people all, all over America. They're Christians. They're worldly. They're believers. They're unbelievers. They'll take the Bible. They'll throw the Bible away. Why? Because they're not sure where the conversation's headed. They're not sure what the promotion is going to hinge on, so I won't say anything. They're not sure what's going to determine who is in or what is in the will of God, so I'm not going to say anything. They're not sure if there's a heaven or hell. Maybe there is a nirvana. Maybe there is a purgatory. They, they just don't know. They're not real sure, so they're just going to stay, stay a divided opinion and play it safe. And every one of those people are crippled. They're halt. They're trying to decide how it's going to end up before they pick a side. Save people in our churches do it every single day. Not real sure what side I want to come down on yet, so I'll just remain double-minded. I'll just remain of two opinions. I'll divide the control of my life between two authorities. And what you don't realize is you're hurting everything you do. It just doesn't hurt the places where you make the wrong decisions. It hurts every decision because even when you go in the right way, you're halted and you're hindered and you're out of balance as you move in that direction. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, our closing passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you know these verses well. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Isn't it interesting that when the scriptures define strongholds, it does not mention Satan, the world, the United Nations, the WEF. We just got plenty of that, didn't we? It doesn't mention uh, bars and crack houses. When the scripture identifies the strongholds, it, get, it identifies them as imaginations, knowledge, thought. Why? Because if you don't have your thought life surrendered fully and completely to the word of God, Satan never needs to come your way. The world will not have to throw anything at you because you're just going to jump in. People say, well, the enemy out there is Satan. The key word is out there. Out there. 
The enemy you lay down with at night and wake up in the morning and get in your car with on your way to work or that you walk to class with and sit and eat lunch with, the enemy is your thought life. And let me just say, God doesn't just want you to clean up your thought life. He wants you to bring it into captivity and give it to Jesus Christ. He doesn't even want you to redirect it. You redirect something that's incorrect, it's still incorrect. You're just going in a different direction. He wants you to take that thing, capture it, and turn it over to Jesus Christ. What does the New Testament say? Well, look at verse 5 again. And bringing into captivity bad thoughts to the obedience of Christ. That's not what he said. He said bringing into captivity every, 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 every thought. Now, let's just be practical for a moment. Listen, you'll not get drunk until you first entertain thoughts of drinking. You will not commit fornication until you first entertain thoughts with another person. You will not commit adultery until you entertain thoughts with another person's husband or wife. You will not steal until you entertain thoughts of covetousness. You understand how it works? The battle is not won in the outward actions. The battle is won in the realm of thought. Let's take the religious arena real quick this morning. The Bible talks about things that earthly, we don't have time to look at all those this morning, but earthly and sensual and devilish. If you went to Jude, you'll see that he's talking about religion. I mean, wouldn't you think the way to worship God would be with gold cathedrals, fine robes, costumes, incense, chanting choirs, and beautiful statues? I mean, doesn't that look religious? I mean, that's a lot more religious than the guy next door opening a book and trying to read some verses to you from it. I mean, if you're going to think something up, it would be ritualistic, beautiful, wealthy, costume, pattern, mysterious, unexplainable, magical religion. It wouldn't be your friend saying, listen, you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. There's none good, no, not one. If you're going to think something up, it would be men crawling on their knees through burning fire, shedding their very last tear. It would not be God himself hanging naked and beaten on a cross for your sins and mine. Who would have thought that up? Nobody. It's not about what makes sense. It's not about what seems logical. It's not about what, how you have done it. It's not about majority opinion. God gave you his word. And we say in the Bible, we say in our churches, we say the Bible is our final authority. But in our practical moment-by-moment decision-making, rarely do we evidence that faith, that the Bible is our final authority. Listen, the only way to have a safe, have a blessed marriage, to raise our children, to be a decent, decent human being, to get to heaven, it has to be God's way. Not my way, not your way. Not God's way, the little help from me, or my way, the little help from God. His thoughts, his ways are higher than the heavens. My thoughts never get beyond the earth. This morning you struggle greatly, some of you. You need a final authority. If it doesn't line up with what you think, that's fine. Go with what God thinks. You'll be happy you did. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.